Chapter Twelve of Modest Mignon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chris Caron. Modest Mignon by Honor de Balzac. Translated by Catherine Prescott Wormley. Chapter Twelve: A Declaration of Love Set to Music. At this moment, modest, happy as she was in the return of her father, was nevertheless pacing her room disconsolate as perrette on seeing her eggs broken she had hoped her father would bring back a much larger fortune than dumay had mentioned nothing could satisfy her new-found ambition on behalf of her poet less than at least half the six millions she had talked of in her second letter trebly agitated by her two joys and the grief caused by her comparative poverty she seated herself at the piano that confident of so many young girls who tell out their wishes and provocations on the keys, expressing them by the notes and tones of their music. Dumais was talking with his wife in the garden under the windows, telling her the secret of her own wealth, and questioning her as to her desires and her intentions. Madame Dumais had, like her husband, no other family than the Mignons, husband and wife agreed therefore to go and live in provence if the commis de la basti really meant to live in provence and to leave their money to whichever of modest's children might need it most listen to modest said madame mignon addressing them none but a girl in love can compose such airs without having studied music houses may burn fortunes may be engulfed fathers return from distant lands empires may crumble away the gloria may ravage cities but a maiden's love wings its way as nature pursues hers or that alarming acid which chemistry has lately discovered and which will presently eat through the globe if nothing stops it modest under the inspiration of her present situation was putting to music certain stanzas which we are compelled to quote here albeit they are printed in the second volume of the edition duriat had mentioned because in order to adapt them to her music which had the inexpressible charm of sentiment so admired in great singers modest had taken liberties with the lines in a manner that may astonish the admirers of a poet so famous for the correctness sometimes too precise of his measures the maiden's song here arise the lark is shaking sunlit wings that heavenward rise sleep no more the violet waking wafts her incense to the skies flowers revived their eyes unclosing see themselves in drops of dew in each calx cup reposing pearls of a day their mirror true breeze divine the god of roses pass by night to bless their bloom see for them each bud uncloses glows and yields its rich perfume then arise the lark is shaking sunlit wings that heavenward rise not is sleeping heart awaking lift thine incense to the skies it is very pretty said madame dumay modest is a musician and that's the whole of it the devil is in her cried the cashier 
into whose heart the suspicion of the mother forced its way and made him shiver? She loves, persisted Madame Mignon, by succeeding, through the undeniable testimony of the song, in making the cashier a sharer in her belief as to the state of Modest's heart. Madame Mignon destroyed the happiness, the return, and the prosperity of his master had brought him. The poor Brenton went down the hill to Hover and to his desk in Goldenheim's counting-room with a heavy heart. Then, before returning to dinner, he went to see La Tournelle to tell his fears and beg once more for the notary's advice and assistance. "'Yes, my dear friend,' said Dumay, when they parted on the steps of the notary's door. "'I now agree with madame. She loves. Yes, I am sure of it. The devil knows the rest. I am dishonored.' "'Don't make yourself unhappy, Dumay,' answered the little notary. "'Among us, all we can surely get the better of the little puss. Sooner or later, every girl in love betrays herself. You may be sure of that.' but we will talk about it this evening. Thus it happened. All those devoted to the Mignon family were fully as disquieted, as disquieted and uncertain as they were before the old soldier tried the experiment which he expected would be so decisive. The ill success of his past efforts so stimulated Dumay's sense of duty that he determined not to go to Paris to see after his own fortune, as announced by his patron, until he had guessed the riddle of Modest's heart these friends to whom feelings were more precious than interests well knew that unless the daughter were pure and innocent the father would die of grief when he came to know the death of bettina and the blindness of his wife the distress of poor dumay made such an impression on the latournellas that they even forgot their parting with exupere whom they set off that morning to paris during dinner while the three were alone monsieur and madame latournelle and Bouscha turned the problem over and over in their minds, and discussed every aspect of it. If Modest loved anyone in Havre, she would have shown some fear yesterday, said Madame Lotanel. Her lover, therefore, lives somewhere else. She swore to her mother this morning, said the notary, in presence of Dumay, that she had not exchanged a look or a word with any living soul. Then she loves after my fashion, exclaimed Butcha. And how is that, my poor lad? asked Madame Lartonelle. Madame, said the little cripple, I love alone an affair, oh, as far as from here to the stars. How do you manage it, you silly fellow? asked Madame Lartonelle, laughing. Ah, Madame, said Butcha, what will you call my hump? Is the socket of my wings. So that is the explanation of your seal, is it? cried the notary. Bouscha's seal was a star, and under it the words, Fulgen's Sequar, Shining One, I Follow Thee, the motto of the house of Chastillonest. A beautiful woman may feel as distressful as the ugliest, said Bouscha, as if speaking to himself. Modest is clever enough to fear she may be loved only for her beauty. Hunchbacks are extraordinary creations, due entirely to society, for according to nature's plan, feeble or aborted beings ought to perish. The curvature or distortion of the spinal column creates in these outwardly deformed subjects as if it were a storage battery where the nerve currents accumulate more abundantly than under normal conditions where they develop and once they are emitted, so to say, in lighting flashes to energize the interior being. From this forces result which are sometimes brought to light by magnetism 
through they are far more frequently lost in the vague spaces of the spiritual world it is rare to find a deformed person who is not gifted with some special faculty a whimsical or sparking gaiety perhaps an utter malignity or an almost sublime goodness like instruments which the hand of an art can never fully waken these beings highly privileged though they know it not lived within themselves as Bootscha lived provided their natural forces so magnificently concentrated have not been spent in the struggle they have been forced to maintain against tremendous odds to keep alive this explains many superstitions the popular legends of gnomes frightful dwarves deformed fairies all that race of bottles as rabelais called them containing elixirs and precious balms Bootscha, therefore had very nearly found the key to the puzzle with all the anxious solicitude of a hopeless lover a vassal ever ready to die like the soldiers alone and abandoned in the snow of russia who still cried out long live the emperor he meditated how to capture modest's secret for his own private knowledge so thinking he followed his patrons to the chalet that evening with a cloud of care upon his brow for he knew it was most important to hide from all these watchful eyes and ears the net whatever it might be in which he should entap his lady it would have to be he thought by some intercepted glance some sudden start or quiver as when a surgeon lays his finger on a hidden sore that evening goldenheim did not appear and Bustra was Dumais's partner against Monsieur and Madame La Tournelle. During the few moments of Modeste's absence, about nine o'clock, to prepare for her mother's bedtime, Madame Mignon and her friends spoke openly to one another, but the poor clerk, depressed by the conviction of Modeste's love, which had now seized upon him, as upon the rest, seemed as remote from the discussion as Goldenheim had been the night before. "'Well, that's the matter with you, Bustra.' cried madame la tournelle one would really think you hadn't a friend in the world tears shone in the eyes of the poor fellow who was the son of a swedish sailor and whose mother was dead i have no one in the world but you he answered with a troubled voice and your compassion is so much a part of your religion that i can never lose it and i will never deserve to lose it this answer struck the sensitive chord of true delicacy in the minds of all present we love you monsignor bustcha said madame mignon with much feeling in her voice i have six hundred thousand francs of my own this day cried dumay and you shall be a notary and the successor of la tournelle the american wife took the hand of the poor hunchback and pressed it what you have six hundred thousand francs exclaimed la tournelle pricking up his ears as dumay let fall the words and you allow these ladies to live as they do modeste ought to have a fine horse and why doesn't she continue to take lessons in music and painting and-why he has only had the money a few hours cried the little wife hush murmured madame mignon while these words were exchanged bustcha's august mistress turned towards him preparing to make a speech my son she said you are so surrounded by a true affection that i never thought how my thoughtless use of that familiar phrase might be constructed but you must thank me for my little blunder, because it has served to show you what friends your noble qualities have won. Then you must have news from Monsignor Mignon, resumed the notary. He is on his way home, said Madame Mignon, but let us keep the secret to ourselves. 
when my husband learns how faithful Bustia has been to us, how he has shown us the warmest and the most disinterested friendship when others have given us the cold shoulder. He will not let you alone. Provide for him, do may. And so, my friend, she added, turning her blind face toward Bustia, you can begin at once to negotiate with Latournelle. He is of legal age, twenty-five and a half years. As for me, it will be paying a debt, my boy, to make the purchase easy for you, said the notary. Bustra was kissing Madame Mignon's hand, and his face was wet with tears as Modest opened the door of the salon. "'What are you doing with my black dwarf?' she demanded. "'Who is making him unhappy?' "'Ah, Mademoiselle Mignon, do we luckless fellows, cradled in misfortune, ever weep for grief? They have just shown me as much affection as I could feel for them. If they were indeed my own relations, I'm to be a notary, I shall be rich.' Ha ha, the poor Bustja may become the rich Bustja. You don't know what audacity there is in this abortion, he cried. With that, he gave himself a resounding blow on the cavity of his chest, and took up a position before the fireplace, after casting a glance at Modest, which slipped like a ray of light between his heavy half-closed eyelids. He perceived, in this unexpected incident, a chance of interrogating the heart of his sovereign, Dumay thought for a moment that the clerk dared to aspire to modest, and he exchanged a rapid glance with the others, who misunderstood him, and began to eye the little man with a species of terror mingled with curiosity. "'I, too, have my dreams,' said Bustja, not taking his eyes from modest. The young girl lowered her eyelids with a movement. That was a revelation to the young man. "'You love romance,' he said, addressing her. Let me, in this moment of happiness, tell you mine, and you shall tell me in return whether the conclusion of the tale I have invented for my life is possible. To me, wealth would bring greater happiness than to other men, for the highest happiness I can imagine would be to enrich the one I loved. You, Mademoiselle, who know so many things, tell me if it is possible for a man to make himself beloved independently of his person, be it handsome or ugly, and for his spirit only, Modest raised her eyes and looked at Bustja. It was a piercing and questioning glance, for she shared Dumay's suspicion of Bustja's motive. Let me be rich, and I will seek some beautiful poor girl, abandoned like myself, who has suffered, who knows what misery is. I will write to her and console her, and will be her guardian spirit. She shall read my heart, my soul. She shall possess my double wealth, my two wealths, my gold delicately offered and my thought robed in all the splendor which the accident of birth has denied to my grotesque body. But I myself shall remain hidden like the cause that science seeks. God himself may not be glorious to the eye. Well, naturally, the maiden will be curious. She will wish to see me, but I shall tell her that I am a monster of ugliness. I shall picture myself hideous. At these words, Modest gave Bustia a glance that looked him through and through. If she had said aloud, What do you know of my love? She could not have been more explicit. If I have the honor of being loved for the poem of my heart, if some day such love may make a woman think me only slightly deformed, I ask you, mademoiselle, shall I not be happier than the handsomest of men, as happy as a man of genius beloved by some celestial being like yourself? The color which suffused the young girl's face told the cripple nearly all she sought to know. Well, if that be so, he went on, if we enrich the one we love, if we please, the spirit and withdraw the body. Is not that the way to make oneself beloved? At any rate, it is the dream of your poor dwarf. 
a dream of yesterday for today your mother gives me the key to future wealth by promising me the means of buying a practice but before i become another gaubenheim i seek to know whether this dream could be really carried out what do you say mademoiselle you modeste was so astonished that she did not notice the question the trap of the lover was much better baited than that of the soldier for the poor girl was rendered speechless poor bustia whispered madame latournelle to her husband do you think he is going mad you want to realize the story of beauty and the beast said modeste at length but you forget that the beast turned into prince charming do you think so said the dwarf now i have always thought that the transformation meant the phenomenon of the soul made visible obliterating the form under the light of the spirit if i were not loved i should stay hidden that is all you and yours madame he continued addressing his mistress instead of having a dwarf at your service will now have a life and a fortune so saying bootstra resumed his seat remarking to the three whist players with an assumption of calmness whose deal is it but within his soul he whispered sadly to himself she wants to be loved for herself she corresponds with some pretended great man how far has it gone dear mamma it is nearly ten o'clock said modest madame mignon said good night to her friends and went to bed they who wish to love in secret may have pyrenean hounds smothers dumais and latournelles to spy upon them and yet not be in any danger but when it comes to a lover ah that is a diamond cut diamond flame against flame mind to mind an equation whose terms are mutual on sunday morning bootsja arrived at the chalet before madame latournelle who always came to take modeste to church and he proceeded to blockade the house in expectation of the postman have you a letter for mademoiselle mignon he said to that humble functionary when he appeared no monsieur none this house had been a good customer to the post of late remarked the clerk you may well say that replied the man Madas both heard and saw the little colloquy from her chamber window where she always posted herself behind the blinds at this particular hour to watch for the postman she ran downstairs went into the little garden and called in an interpretive voice monsieur bootscha here am i mademoiselle said the cripple reaching the gate as modeste herself opened it will you be good enough to tell me whether among your various titles to a woman's affection you count that of the shameless spying in which you are now engaged demanded the girl endeavoring to crush her slave with the glance and gesture of a queen yes mademoiselle he answered proudly ah i never expected he continued in a low tone that the grub should be of service to a star but so it is would you rather that your mother and monseigneur dumais and madame latournelle had guessed your secret than one excluded as it were from life who seeks to be to you one of those flowers that you cut and wear for a moment they all know you love but i i alone know how use me as you would a vigilant watchdog i will obey you protect you and never bark neither will i condemn you i ask only to be of service to you your father has made dumay keeper of the hen roost take bustia to watch outside poor bustia who doesn't ask for anything not so much as a bone well i've give you a trial said modest whose strongest desire was to get rid of so clever a watcher please go at once to all the hotels in graville and in havre and ask if a gentleman has arrived from england named monsieur arthur listen to me mademoiselle said bustia interrupting modest respectfully 
I will go and take a walk on the seashore, for you don't want me to go to church today. That's what it is. Modest looked at her dwarf with a perfectly stupid astonishment. Mademoiselle, you have wrapped your face in cotton wool and a silk handkerchief, and there's nothing the matter with you, and you have put that thick veil on your bonnet to see someone yourself without being seen. Where did you acquire all that perspicacity? cried Modest, blushing. Moreover, Mademoiselle, you have not put on your corset. A cold in the head wouldn't oblige you to disfigure your waist, and wear half a dozen petticoats, nor hide your hands in these old gloves, and your pretty feet in those hideous shoes, nor dress yourself like a beggar woman, nor— That's enough, she said. How am I to be certain that you will obey me? My master is obliged to go to St. Address. He does not like it, but he is so truly good, he won't deprive me of my Sunday. I will offer to go for him. Go, and I will trust you. You are sure I can do nothing for you in Havre? Nothing. Hear me, mysterious dwarf. Look, she continued, pointing to the cloudless sky. Can you see a single trace of that bird that flew by just now? No. Well, then, my actions are pure, as the air is pure, and leave no stain behind them. You may reassert you may, and the Latournelles, and my mother, that hand, she said, holding up a pretty delicate hand, with the points of the rosy fingers, through which the light shone, slightly turning back, will never be given. It will never even be kissed by what people call a lover until my father has returned. Why don't you want me in the church today? Do you venture to question me after all I have done you the honor to say and to ask of you? Bushja bowed without another word and departed to find his master in all the rapture of being taken into the service of his goddess. Half an hour later, Monsignor and Madame Latournelle came to fetch Modest, who complained of a horrible toothache. I really have not had the courage to dress myself, she said. Well, then, replied the worthy chaperon, stay at home. Oh, no, said Modest. I would rather not. I have bundled myself up, and I don't think it will do me any harm to go out. And Mademoiselle Mignon marched off beside Latournelle, refusing to take his arm, lest she should be questioned about the outward trembling which betrayed her inward agitation as the thought of at last seeing her great poet one look the first was not about to decide her fate end of chapter twelve recording by chris caron